All right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We will be in the book of Habakkuk. Book of Habakkuk, um, Old Testament prophet, uh, real close. Uh, probably about four or five um, uh, minor prophets before you get to the New Testament. So the book of Habakkuk uh, is where we're going to be. Um, super excited to see what all God has for us through this book study as we walk the next eight to ten weeks out uh, looking at uh, Habakkuk, looking at his prayer, looking at his conversation with God to see what, uh, see what God will do in us as the people of God as he shapes us and molds us and transforms us into the image of his son uh, and helps us along into maturity and so, um, uh, so just excited to see what he, what he has for us in this book. And so uh, uh, maybe um, a thing that I want to do to kind of start out is just, uh, just ask this question. Who, who here um, would, would love to just hear from God? Like, 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 you, like yeah, man, like I want to hear. No, no, this is good. I'm honestly, like, I, I would assume probably everybody, like I want to hear from God. And, and it would even be even more awesome if it was an audible voice, right? Like if, if he would just kind of like, yeah, amen, I see that hand, me too. Girl, I'm with you. Um, if it would just be like an audible voice, a, a yes, this is this, or he just, I mean, just, just speaks and I hear without a shadow of a doubt. Well, the cool thing about this book is that's exactly what happens. We see in this book that Habakkuk approaches God and Habakkuk starts this dialogue with God, what we would call prayer, what we would call a conversation with God. And as he does that, God answers. God answers. Now, the thing I want to caution you about with this book is that it's going to be very, very difficult because when God answers, sometimes when God answers, he says things that we probably don't like. Because I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes when I go to God, I go to him with some preconceived notions, some preconceived ideas of, of okay, God, I'm really coming as a suggestion for you, uh, when really what I need to do is come to God with an open heart and open mind, uh, wanting to honestly and earnestly hear from him. And so uh, we'll see some uh, pretty cool things happen, I believe, throughout this book study uh, to Habakkuk and uh, just with the nature and character of God and who he is. And so uh, I'm going to ask you this morning if you'd join me as we pray, and then we will uh, jump in uh, and get to where we need to be this morning. So if you'd join me as we pray. Father, uh, again, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for, God, just, just for your presence. God, we thank you for your promise of communing with us and wanting and desiring us. And God, even so much that you come for us by way of your son. God, we're so grateful and we're so thankful. And so Lord, my prayer this morning for me, for the men and women in this room is that you'd speak. God, that we would hear you loud and clear. God, that you would press upon our hearts a number of things. God, whether it be conviction, whether it be encouragement. God, whatever it may be, whatever you see fit, Lord, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would show up in a mighty way and move. Father, we need you. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do in this place this morning for your glory. So we pray. Amen. So before we arrive in the book of Habakkuk, there is some backstory, there's some work that we've got to do to get to where we're at because context is everything, right? When you approach the scriptures, you need to know what's happening, what's going on. You need to know what's happening in that world, in that culture, in that day. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a little journey through the scriptures. Um, and some of it may be familiar to you. Some names that you'll hear and see will be names that you are familiar with. If you were with us over the last year as we walked um, uh, through some Old Testament stuff, as we walked through the book of, of Exodus, things like that, you'll, you'll, you'll recognize some of the stuff that we're going to talk about or some of the stuff that will be brought up, but it's very, very important in order for us to get to where we're going to be in this book study to know what has happened and taken place in that day, in that world. And so what we know from the scriptures is that God made a promise to Abram, not Abraham yet, he'll eventually become Abraham, but Abram concerning the nation of Israel. 
And so what God tells Abram is that they're, uh, they're going to be God's chosen people, that God's setting up a people for himself, for his glory, for his honor. And then the second thing that he tells Abram is that they would be a kingdom, that they're going to be a kingdom. And so there's many years of that just really not working itself out well. There's many, many years of, of things just not ending well and going well for the people of God. And so it actually ends up with the people of God being in slavery. And so they're led out into slavery only to wander through the desert until a whole generation dies off. Why? Because of their disobedience, because of their lack of faith in God, not following God. So a whole generation dies off. And then they finally go into the promised land. And when they get to the promised land, it's nothing but violence upon violence, war upon war. They're constantly fighting. And so the people wanted a king. And so what do they do? They start asking God for a king. God, give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. We want a king, and what does God do? He finally gives them a king, and they get Saul. Saul becomes their king. And so what we know about Saul is this, is that he's rather disappointing. And so after Saul, they finally get David. You know David, right? David and Goliath, the little guy with five stones that goes after this big giant who's out there mocking and making fun of their God. And he says, enough's enough. Nobody would rise up, nobody would stand up and, and face this giant. So what does David do? David goes after the giant and he slays the giant, does he not? He goes after and he destroys him and, and the people of God uh, 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 just rise up from this and they're, they're excited as God delivers them from, from this giant. And so David's introduced into the story. And the Bible's clear that David's a man after God's own heart. That's how the Bible would describe David. And so I think it's just important for us to know and understand that, that in that, David had huge character flaws, did he not? David had some massive pitfalls, massive shortcomings. It's important for us to know and understand that, right? You, you remember David's story, adultery, standing out on his terrace and there's Bathsheba. And what does he do? He gazes, no, he doesn't gaze, he, he gawks is what he does. He doesn't just say, oh, no, uh-uh, bounce the eyes, boys. No, 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 it was, it was a gawking look. And what does it do? Lust rises up in his heart to the point where he says, I want her. And so what happens? They get her, they bring him to her. He lays with her, she becomes pregnant. Well, that's a problem because she has a husband. What's that husband doing? He's out actually fighting for the country at the time. So he freaks out, what does he try to do? Tries to cover it up, brings him in. We need to get him in. He brings him in out from, from this war that they're fighting. And what he says, he says, you need to go to your wife and lay. You need to go spend family time. What's he trying to do? He's trying to cover up his sin, trying to cover up his mistake. But the man, and he's a man's man. I mean, can, can you not applaud this? The guy's like, no, nah, nah, I'm not going to my wife. My guys are out there battling and fighting for this country. I can't do that and leave them out there. So what does he do? He doesn't go. So David freaks out. What does David do? Sends him back out to war, but he puts him on the front lines and he has the army back up and the man's killed. The man's killed. And what happens? God is loving and gracious and he calls David on his sin. So he commits adultery and then he has the man murdered. I mean, but, but the scriptures clearly says after all of that, that David is what? A man after God's own heart. I mean, is that not phenomenal? Is that not crazy? All, I, mean, I mean, what kind of pitfall is that? I mean, what kind of sin and junk do we have in our life? And we think, man, we're disqualified or we're no good or God can't use us and this man commits adultery and has the husband murdered? And so that's the kind of man that God goes after and says that this is a man after my own heart. That's what he says. And so during David's reign as king, it's just marked by a great deal of bloodshed. There's a lot of warring, a lot of battling. He's constantly at war with the Philistines, other nations. 
but he's legit. Like David's legit. He's a straight up warrior. He's a fighter. He's a leader. He's a worshiper. That's the kind of man that David is. And I've just always been drawn to David. I think there's just something in all of us that's just drawn to David because of the fact he's just unbelievably honest. I mean, he's just real and raw. He's a man who's seeking after God's heart, even though in the midst of, of mess ups and blunders, he's still a man that's seeking after God. And I just, I've, I've always been drawn to that. And I believe that's why I love the Psalms so much. I believe that's why that's a book that we're always kind of just drawn to. It's because of how real it is as David pins and writes. And it's like one moment, David's like, God, you're as, you're as close as the sunshine on my face. To the next minute, he's like, God, do you even care? Do you even hear? Are you there? Oh, God, you're like a warm blanket on a cold night. Oh, you're my everything. And then it's like, he flips the switch again. And he's like, God, where have you gone? My, the armies have surrounded me. My foe is upon me. And you just see this like, what is happening in David's life? What is going on with David? One minute it's like he's there and the next minute it's like God's not. And so we're just drawn to that because I believe those of us who follow after Jesus, we've had those times where he felt like he's in the room with us, where he's close to us and he's like that warm blanket. And then there's other times where I feel like maybe we've been praying and we've been seeking God and the only one that hears it is the cat or the dog in the corner. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I know that I have. And I think he's just so relatable. We've all been there. And I believe that's why we're so drawn to people like David in the scriptures, to the books like Psalms. I mean, then you have a guy like Paul who says things like, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And we wanna be there. Like, I think we, we really wanna try to get there. But that's just tough. That's just so hard, is it not, to have that kind of passion and zeal? I mean, if I die, glory be to God, I get to be with him forever. But what about all the, who cares about all of this stuff? It's fleeting. It's passing away, but God is forever and eternal and I wanna be with him or we're gonna kill you, kill me. Okay, we're not gonna kill you, we're just gonna beat you. Thank God that you even count me worthy to be abused for the sake of Christ. I mean, you just couldn't do anything with the man, nothing. And I think we all wanna get there, but that's just, man, that just seems like something that's just unattainable to reach for sometimes, but not David. David is somebody that we get, David is somebody that we're drawn to, we can relate to. And so what we see is David rules and he reigns and he pleads with God to let him build the temple. David's heart is he wants to build the temple back for God. He wants to raise it up because what he's done is he's established uh, Israel's borders. But there's still a bit of violence and he's nearing the end of his life and it's starting to slow down some. And it's apparent that Israel's gonna win this war against the Philistines. That they're gonna come out victorious against the Philistines. And so as they're going into peace, David begins to beg with God, God, please let me build a temple. Let me construct this for your glory, for your great name. Let me uh, construct a place where people can come and worship you. He wants to build that legitimate temple where the nations could gather and worship the one and only God, the one and only living God. And you know what God does? He tells him no. God says no. David, I'm not gonna let you do that. He says there's just too much blood on your hands you spilled too much blood in your reign. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna raise up your boy Solomon. He's gonna build the temple. I'm gonna let Solomon achieve this and do this and be a part of this. And so you know what happens with David? David plays second chair. David gets to be a part of the process of gathering all the supplies for building up of the temple. He gets to go after the gold and the jewels and all the ornate structure and help, help get all of that stuff gathered up. And then you know what happens to David? He dies. He dies. And so one of the things, brevity of life and is just to simply watch how powerful men of God in the Bible die. How powerful men of God die in the Bible. And after they die, you know what happens in the next verse? The story goes on. It goes right on. Do you know why? Because it's bigger than just one person. 
the move of God. The story of God is bigger than just one person, one church, one name, one gap. It's bigger than that. God is about his glory and his honor. And you know what the amazing thing is? Is the fact that he even looks to us to use us and allows us to even play a part in the story. And that's what the scripture teaches, teaches us and shows us. The brevity and the, the fragility of life. Man dies and the story goes on. Why? Because God is bigger than any one person. God is greater than any one person. And so what we have is Solomon. And Solomon reigns and he rules. And what does he do? He ends up building the temple. And what it is, is a pinnacle in Israel's existence. This is a major time in Israel's existence. They're at peace. They're building. The economy is flourishing. Good things are happening. Everything seems to be falling into place finally. This is what they've been waiting on for a thousand years. And it's here. Their people, their religious leaders are saying things like, this is coming, this is coming, this has been promised to us by God. And so they just keep on walking and walking, trying to get there. And then all of a sudden, there it is. They're in the midst of it. They're in peace. They've got everything that God has promised, so they think. But then if you kind of look at some of Solomon's writings, you can kind of see some clouds on the horizon. Like like if you read the book of Ecclesiastes and you kind of just look at some of the things that, that Solomon pens and writes, you can kind of see, okay, there's something kind of stirring out there somewhere. There's something maybe happening. So he writes in Ecclesiastes, not to put your hope and your heart in stuff. He says, be very, very careful to guard your heart against the things of this world and don't long for, run after, worship, desire things more than the creator because what's gonna happen is that you're gonna die and after you die, all the stuff that you build, all the stuff that you made, all the stuff that you've accomplished is just gonna be the future junk of yard sales. It's pretty much what he says. It's vanity, it's fleeting. Why invest in those type of things? And so it sounds like Solomon's kind of having a bad day or something, but, but he, he keeps following the story. If we keep following the story and look at the story, what happens? Solomon dies. And you know what happens after that? The story continues to go. Well, because the story's about God, it's not about a person. It's about God, it's about Jesus. That's what the story's about. And so soon after Solomon dies, Israel begins to fall apart again. But it starts to deplete from the inside and it starts to fall apart. And so his sons, they're debating and they're fighting and it doesn't take long for Israel to split into two separate countries. And so you had Israel in the north made up of two tribes and you have Judah in the south made up of 10 tribes. And so it doesn't take long for Israel to just kind of just disappear. They're captured by the Babylonians and they're just let off into exile. And what we have is Judah, Judah's left all alone. And what we know about the story of God is that they begin to fall more and more and more into adultery. Because church, hear me, when we take our eyes off of Jesus, when we take our eyes off of God, the things of the world look glorious and great. And we will run after the shiny new things that we see and think that will bring us excitement and happiness and pleasure. And so that's exactly what they do. They run after things and fall more and more into adultery. And so you have King, King Amon, and what happens is King Amon, he ends up building other temples in Judah, temples there for other gods where other people can come in and, and worship whatever God they want to. And so the people are blatantly idolatrous and the temple that Solomon built, this, this monument to God's fulfillment of his promises, it just begins to, uh, to fall apart and, and, to, and to go away. And in the end, King Amon dies and his son Josiah takes over the throne at the ripe old age of eight. Yeah, eight-year-old taking over the throne and becoming king of the nation. And so this whole idea, it just kind of blows my mind. I just love the story of God because, I mean, you can't make this kind of stuff up. I mean, who's putting an eight-year-old in charge of the country? I mean, any eight-year-old parents out here, parents of eight-year-olds? Yeah, mine will be eight in, in, in like six months. 
And, and I just try to get my mind around this. Like, like if I was to put my boy in charge of the country, like, like I'm talking like presidency type stuff, you know, like not in charge of the house, not in charge of the family. I, I won't even put him in charge of the hamster we got. And the life expectancy is two years and I still won't put him in charge of that. And we're really kind of hoping we don't get to two years, but different story for a different day. But I'm not gonna put him in charge of that, but, but you see the word of God and you see this eight-year-old ruling the country. And you know, it'd probably be pretty cool, like if, if we were to do something like it, it'd probably be pretty cool for about a week. It, it would be like, like Brady, but today is go to Walmart and get a toy day. Everybody in the country, free toys. Tuesday, Tuesday will be Taco Tuesday forever. Free tacos for everybody. Yes, yes, Dad, we're doing this. It is football day. Everybody to the front yard, football time. But you can't just go to the front yard and play football. I mean, we're doing eye black. We've got helmets and jerseys. You've got to be a team. You've got to know what team you are and who you're fighting for. And we're going to do football day every Monday through Sunday. Football day every Monday through Sunday. I mean, I could just imagine what this would be like. So I just love the word of God. I just love how it, it, it doesn't hide that. It just, it shows, I mean, how crazy are these people to do this? And so we don't really know what happens, but Josiah gets to the age of 16. And what he does is he devotes his heart and his mind to God. God gets a hold of him. And what he does is he begins to lead reforms among the God's people to repent of their idolatry and turn back to God. He begins to lead these reforms. I mean, we need to get our eyes back on God. Guys, we've wandered. Guys, we've, we've fallen away. We need to go back to God. And there's another prophet at this time that's kind of raging by the name of Jeremiah. Maybe you've heard of him, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah begins to call Israel to repentance, begins to call them back to living for God. And so Josiah, he decides at the ripe old age of 16, decides that he needs to fix up the temple. It's become broken down and busted up. And so they get in there, they start to shine it, they start to clean it, they start to work on it, straighten it out. And then the high priest in the reconstruction of, this, of the temple, he finds the scroll. He, he gets the scroll. I mean, how crazy is that that the scroll's been lost? And so regardless of the historian, whether it be a Christian theologian or just a secular historian, everybody agrees that the scroll that they find, that there's more than likely the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of what we know as the scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The book of the law is what they find. I mean, how crazy is this? They, they've lost God's word. They've lost God's word. Where did it go? What happened? And so Josiah opens it up with the high priest and they read it. And as they read it, they begin to weep. They begin to become broken over what had happened. And so why are they so broken? Why are they so broken and tore up over this? It's because the law has been designed to show us all of our shortcomings and all of our failures as it pertains to being perfect as God has called us to be perfect. So they're broken. Church, they're broken over their sin. And so the question I would ask you in the midst of this, do you remember that time for you? Do you remember when God confronted you in the reality of your, your sin as it compares and as it's compared to him and his perfect holiness? Like, do you remember where you were at? Do you remember what it was like when God said, you're lost and you need me? Whenever he, he confronted you in the reality of, of your sin and, and your shame and he says, but I wanna make you clean and I wanna repair you and I wanna fix you. And it's like they have that moment and they're broken and they weep over it. The fact that this holy, holy, righteous God would approach them and show them and want them and desire them. 
So what does Josiah do? He calls the entire nation together. They all come in and Josiah and the high priest, they read the scroll to the people. The people are devastated. They're devastated. I, I, I try to just even liken and give an illustration of what this would be like in our world. Um, and, and so my mind went here this morning as I was just trying to read over this a little bit more and think about it. And um, th- there's, this, there's this movie out, and it's an old movie. It's called The Book of Eli. Denzel Washington was in it. And, there, and I can't remember the whole storyline, but, uh, but there was this great thing that happened on the planet a great flash of light or something that took place and happened. I can't quite remember. And so uh, it wipes out the majority of the planet. And Denzel is this guy that's got this book. And Denzel's blind. And it's this book. It's this book that everybody's looking for. It's this book that this one group of people have to have. And so they find out that he's got it. And so what do they do? They go after him. But he feels that he's been called by God to take this book somewhere. And the crazy thing is, is this, is he's even memorized this book. He didn't need the book, he's memorized it. And so he's trying to get to the place where he could go and he could tell everybody about the book and what the book says and they, they write it down and they record it. And he finally gets there and it works out. But, but I began to think about like, what God, what would, what would this, it would be like this. It'd be like that happens to us modern day. And all of a sudden, whoever the leadership of the country is, They'd be like, you know what, this was a cool building. We need to get it back up and run it. And they gather, and as they gather, they find this book, and the book's the scriptures. All the other scriptures have been done away with. There's no, no remnants of anything. And they find it, and as the leader of the country finds it, he begins to read it, and as he begins to read it, God's spirit falls heavy upon him and convicts him of the sin of the nation, of the sin of his own life. And so what does he do? He, public announcement, I mean, there's no sports games on, there's no nothing going on. Any, I mean, the one TV channel that you get is nothing but this announcement. And he comes across the screen and he says, world, we've missed it. I found the book. I found the book that tells us about the one and only one that can do anything for us. The one and only one that has created, made the one that has sent his son that loves us so very much and the whole nation is just shook by it. I, I, I just try to, try to get my head around what's happened. This, this is just crazy. And so what he does is he calls the entire nation together. They, they all come. The high priest, they read it. They're devastated. He calls a Passover meal. Remember back in Exodus? God's delivering and rescuing. He calls a Passover meal and he points the people back to God's deliverance of them and he calls them back to their covenant relationship with God and then there's mass repentance amongst the people. Now let me get us to Habakkuk because at this time in the world, there's three major powers in the world. There's Judah. Judah's not one of those main powers. They're just kind of small and insignificant, kind of doing their own thing. One of the main powers is Assyria. They're kind of king of the hill, but they're in decline. And then another is the Babylonians, and the, or known as the Chaldeans. And they're brutal, they're on the rise. They're very violent, they're very aggressive, just very, very mean, nasty, unbelievably violent. By no standard of judgment could you ever call them good people. They're kind of the people that, uh, people group that if fire would fall from heaven and like wipe them all out and like burn them up and it'd be horrific, you'd be like, ah, okay, I get that. Yeah, that, 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 that should happen. That makes sense. And then you have Egypt. And, and Egypt was a major player, but they're also in decline. And so you have Nico II, Pharaoh of Egypt at this time. Not, not Pharaoh in Exodus, but a different Pharaoh. And so he sends a letter to Josiah. Josiah's still ruling the nation and he asked for permission to take his army through Judah to Assyria. 
but Josiah refuses Nico's request. And so this enrages Nico. And so what does Nico do? He marches his army straight through, straight through uh, Judah anyway. But Josiah's not going to have it. Josiah's going to stand up and he says no. So he calls his army together and they all meet and they go out to, to meet the Egyptians in the valley of Megiddo. I mean, you can't do nothing but love this guy. I mean, you can't do nothing but just love him all the more. Josiah disguises himself as a soldier and he joins the rank of his men. You've got the king willing to fight with his, his people. And we'd say this is probably not a good idea, but, but to a man in the trenches, you have your king there going, no, no, I'm not asking you to die. I'm willing to die with you. I'm not going to have you do something that I'm not willing to do myself. I mean, just a man's man. Puh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, just, I mean, just a man. I mean, you want this guy. So it's just unbelievably beautiful. It's a brilliant thing. But in the middle of this battle, Josiah, this man being used by God, who's calling the people to repentance, he's killed. And so he had sons. And in this day, what happens is they immediately take one of his sons, Jehoahaz, and they put him on the throne. And Jehoahaz will not rule long because what happens, he immediately begins to operate in the order of his grandfather, Amon. Not like his father, but his grandfather. And so he takes him... Um, he, he ends up getting taken as a prisoner and, and they put him back down in Egypt where he's going to be uh, there until he dies in captivity. And so he's out of the picture. And so now he's got another son, Jehoiakim. And, he, and he's more full than his full brother. And so for the next 11 years, he's going to lead G Judah straight into their destruction, straight into their demise. And so all the God-honoring, all the God-exalting reform, all the progress was completely blown to pieces by these two knucklehead brothers completely blown to pieces. All that brings us to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter one, starting in verse one. The history and how we got to where we're at in this current time in Habakkuk. Habakkuk 1.1 one, one says this, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And I just wanna draw attention, notice how real the scriptures are. Like, I love that. If you've ever wondered about the Bible, if you've ever uh, uh, been a critic or you know critics, the thing, again, like I said, I love about the scriptures is how real they are. They don't hide anything. Look at what Habakkuk does. He says, oh, Lord. So Habakkuk is addressing God. He says, oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? I mean, have you ever been there before? God, are you even paying attention? God, I'm, I'm screaming and crying out. Are you gonna get this? I mean, are you not gonna pay attention? Do you not hear me? Or how long cry violence and you will not save? And look at verse three, it says, why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. I mean, put yourself in Habakkuk's shoes for a moment. I mean, think about that. I know so often we can kind of disconnect from the scriptures and like, oh, this is just a guy back in the Bible. And we kind of, or we'll put him up on a pedestal where we could never be like that. But it's just like we sang the very, uh, one of the first songs that we sang. Just, these are just nobody guys. And for whatever reason, God, God speaks and uses them. I mean, so this is a real God, just like, like we're real people, real people. And so he's seen his people turn their heart to God. And do and be and act and walk the way they should only to have it all fall apart. He's been through that process. He's been through that cycle. He's seen it and, it and it gets far worse than it has ever been. And so what does he do? He pours his heart out to God and asks God, what are you doing? God, are you paying attention? What's going on? 
And so, guys, there's times as we head into maturity, we, we all run into times like this. God, what are you doing? So we ask the questions. God, if you're loving, God, I thought you were compassionate. God, how can you allow all this to happen? So along the road to maturity, there'll be times when you don't understand what God's doing. There'll be times when you see and you take in things that appears that God is absent. It appears that God has forgotten. But church, I'm here to tell you that God hasn't. God is well aware. Just like for me and my wife, just a couple weeks ago, there's this couple that we know and that we uh, have been friends with at a church before. Um, and in that relationship, we, we kind of grown distant, but, but we still know them. And if we see them out, we would talk or if we'd run into them or every once in a while, a little message on Facebook and, and things like that. And um, uh, it was one of those things that, and, and you may be familiar with their story, what's happened. I even mentioned it a few weeks ago that we could pray, I think on a Wednesday night. And um, in that, they, they had a baby. And throughout all of the pregnancy, everything came back good. Healthy baby, good. There were some little things. They're like, ah, oh, maybe not, I don't know. And so they have the baby and the baby gets here and there's something not right. Ends up the baby has something that ends up taking the baby's life within five weeks of being born. Most babies don't even make it to term. Ones that do are stillborn, but not this little one. For whatever reason, God allows this baby to be born. Everything came back positive, everything came back good until he was born. The testing and it came back that he had that rare disease that ended up taking his life. And I don't know about you, but I'm, just in me, there's times I'm like, God, are you serious? Why would you put a family through that? God, I, thought, I thought you were loving. I thought you were great. I thought you were better than that. I thought, and we see this all the time, do we not? I mean, our world and our culture, it's just kind of becoming the norm, is it not? A tragedy, a mass shooting, somebody acts dumb and, and bombs something, or, or just they, they're off their rocker and do something ridiculous. And we're kind of like, God, are you serious? Could have God stopped that? Yes, he could have stopped it. But he chose not to. Why? I thought he was loving. I thought he was gracious. And so often I have to be reminded of he is loving and he is gracious because look to the cross. Scott, just pep down for a second. And by way of the Holy Spirit, he reminds me, boy, give it to me. And I think God loves when we give it to him. Like I think he, God loves relationship. I don't know if you're familiar with that or if you're aware of that, but God desires relationship. I don't know why he desires relationship with fallen people like us, but he wants relationship. He created us for relationship. He's relational in himself. You see that in the Trinity. God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like they're all in perfect union and connection together, relationally perfect. And he created us the same way, to be relational. And so he longs and wants, he invites us into relationship. That's what the, the cross is. So when things like this happen, God's big enough to handle it. He's big enough to handle our questioning and us coming to him and us falling apart in his arms. I think he wants it and he longs for it. We need it. There are times I'm just like, are you serious? I'm no different no different. Why would you do this? And I'm always reminded, and he lovingly, graciously reminds me, he's got the cross. You live in a fallen world. And I know that's just kind of the church answer, but it's the right, real answer. And so as a result of a fallen world, there's horrific bad things that happen. Horrific bad things. Why? Because people are sinful. People are lost. And lost people are going to act like lost people. And you get like lost people don't just do little bad things. 
Lost people do big bad things too. And he reminds me of that. And then you have moments like this with little babies or little families or, or things like that. And again, he still reminds me that he's loving and that he's working and he's doing, he's working something greater in those moments. Scott, you may not be aware, you may not know this side of eternity, but you just hang in with me, I've got it. So that's what I just love about, about the people in the Bible. That's what I love about the men and women in Scripture. That's what I love about Habakkuk. He asks God, he's, he's at a place where I believe that we've probably all been. And so he's verbal, he asks him, he engages him in this conversation. And so three things happen when we're not honest with God. Three things happen, church, in us when we're not honest with God. The first thing is this, is that worship becomes impossible. You can't worship if you're not honest with God. And the crazy thing is that we're even having this conversation because like you know God knows everything, right? You know God sees everything, right? Like you know that he knows your thoughts. He, he can hear your thoughts. I mean, you see it in Jesus all the time, like Jesus hanging a bunch of, around a bunch of religious people and this religious guy has a thought and he, and he answers the guy's thought. He doesn't even verbalize it. Jesus answers the dude's thought. Is that not creepy? Like, like that would freak me out to be a disciple. Jesus is good, Jesus is good, Jesus is good. Je look at that camel, look at that camel, look at that. I mean, I mean, I would try to think nothing. Hey Scott, what are you thinking? Jesus, you know, that camel, that camel. Those are some big hooves on that camel. I mean, I don't know. Who's Jesus? Jesus is God in the flesh. God knows, he's aware. And I don't know why we try to front or why we try to, try to act like that. So when we're not honest with God, worship becomes impossible. See, when difficulty or doubt or fear hits you, you have a great opportunity to dive into God. Not to try to fake it till you make it. That's horrible. Fake it till you make it. No, you dive into God. You can see how grand and glorious God truly is. And hear me, there's comfort in that moment. There is comfort in that moment. Like, like I can remember, it's been a few years ago, it's probably about seven, eight years ago, and, and um, I had the opportunity to fly out to Washington State to go over to Idaho to, to visit this church and, and learn some things at a conference. And as we're flying out, I can remember there's this point where we fly over the Grand Canyon. Now, now I got, I've had the opportunity to go to the Grand Canyon and kind of be like, like, not that close, but be kind of like this close to it. But to fly over the thing, my word. I mean, to, to look out the window and see that, I mean, you just get lost in that moment. This, this is just this big, glorious, grand ditch is all it is that just runs like miles and miles and miles with water in the bottom of it. And like, I'm a mountain boy from West Virginia and that blew me away. I'm like, holy cow. I mean, this is phenomenal. But, but what I found out is in those moments when you're in front of something that's so unbelievably large and powerful, you're reminded of your place in the universe. You're reminded of your place in the universe, of how small and minute and insignificant we truly are. Only to be reminded about how glorious and how much grandeur our God has, the majesty of our King. And so in that moment, we're reminded and we can worship and out of the overflow of feeling how small I am and how big those things are, I'm in awe and my heart is stirred and overwhelmed by the greatness and goodness and glory of our God. That's why we go on vacation, isn't it? That's why we go stick our toes in the sand to see that big old ocean. I mean, it reminds us how small we are. We go to the mountains 
and we look over or we see them in the distance and we're lost in that moment of how beautiful they are, it instills within us and causes in us a heart of worship. And worship is impossible if we're not honest with God. The second thing that happens if we're not honest with God is that we become a pretender is that we become a pretender. And so if you're not honest with God and, and others, you're forced to fake and pretend. And so what I've learned is you can't get from point, go from point A to point B if you don't know where point A is. You following? You can't get to B if you don't know where A is. And, and, and I know I've used this before and she'll probably hit me for it, but, but my wife, love her heart. That's the good Southern way of saying, my gosh, that girl is awesome. I mean, with, like, I get whenever we first moved here, it's 12 years ago, and there was Tom Tom, and there was Garmin, and there was all that, and she had a Scott Scott, and Scott Scott was still new to the area, too, and he didn't know, so he would try, and I'm like, baby, where you at? There's trees. I need to make a turn. Which way, left or right? I'm like, go right. That's blocked off. I'm like, well, which tree are you at? I mean, I can't get her. And then even, like, there's still times. I know there's a lot of construction. Baby, I love you. I mean, we have got like the most modern like devices to get us where we need to go. Which way do I go? Left, right, left, right, left, right. I just, I'm always gonna pick right. I'm right-handed. Righty-tighty, I don't know. Go right. But I couldn't help her get where she needed to be because I wasn't sure where she was. Hear me, spiritually you'll pretend to be something that you're not. You'll spiritually pretend to be something that you're not. And it's easy for this just to become a routine or an act. It's easy. Uh, let me prove it to you. Anybody that's been around here very long at all, I'll, I'll give you three, four weeks. You, you know what we do. You come in, we start around nine. A little timer goes up. We start around nine. After we do nine, we got our first song, right? And you know, you know I see you. You're like, you're itching. Like, you know the handshaker's coming. So you get that thing warmed up and you're ready. Eric, come on, baby. Let's finish this. Now, let's go. We got a handshake. But there's somebody new over there. I'm going to get him. And I got my brother in the second row I need to, need to do the thing with. And so after the first song, we do that, we shake hands, and then I come up, and we, uh, we, we spend some time over announcements, and after announcements, we're going to pray, and after we pray, what we're going to do, we'll take up an offering. And I say it every week, but you know, get your checks ready, this, that, get ready, whatever you need to do, get ready, prepared, all that. They come by, they pass the plate after the plate, then we come back up, and how many songs do we have after that? Normally, three. <laughs> God bless you, that's right, sister. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, then after those three songs, then what happens? If we have a little video, we'll show a little video, and then I'll come up, and I'll always say, if you have your Bibles, turn to. Every time. I always want to be about God's Word. I always want to show you where we're getting this from. I always want to, we're always going to be pointed to there. So I'll make that statement, then we'll open up God's Word. We'll start to walk through it. We'll go at this thing. I like to think for 30 minutes. It's more like 40-ish. Or we can say 30-ish. That kind of covers 40, right? And then we'll walk through God's Word, and then after that, what happens after that? We've got a little song and altar call and sometimes even through the songs you'll raise your hands or you can do little things or you can give like a little amen here or there not much I mean we don't want to get too undignified in this place right give God too much glory hallelujah but we'll get an amen every once in a while maybe a little laugh things like that and after that we do the altar call and after altar call I'm gonna walk back there to the back and I'm gonna stand I'm gonna shake some hands and I'm always gonna say we got discipleship development we'd love to get you I mean you've been around you know you you know how this thing works and this is so easy to become a learned thing is it not it can become just a routine nine o'clock, I'm, I'm, I'm done by 11, it's great, I beat everybody at the buffet, this is awesome, I'm loving Jesus though. As long as I get to the buffet before everybody else. I mean, we, we know how it goes, we, we know how that works, it's easy for this to become a routine. And hear me, you can learn this and not practice any of it. 
you can learn this and not practice any of it. it. It would be like doing 15 problems of homework and you do them all wrong. You do every one of them wrong, but you did it, but you didn't do it right, but it, it's done nothing for you in the end but what exhausts you and frustrates you. I've got an eight-year-old right now. I'm learning this very, very quickly. And we're no different, are we? Church world is no different. The same thing spiritually for us. It exhausts us to act perfect when we're not. And guess what? I know you're not. And the way that I know you're not perfect is because I know that I'm not perfect. And I'm not projecting my junk on you. What I'm doing is I'm just reading the scriptures and what the Bible tells me about yourself. You've been outed. Church, do you get that? You've been outed. You're not perfect. You're not going to nail it every time. You're not going to get it all right every time. I know that. Why? Because the scripture tells us. Why? Because Jesus had to die on the cross for us. So I know us. We need to quit pretending. We need to quit faking. So how do we do that? For me, it's all about accountability. It's all about accountability. It's not me trying to hide my insecurities or my struggles or my shortcoming. No, 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 no. No. Because I know what happens in that. My heart can become hard. I can become prideful and arrogant. I can become quick-tongued. I can become uh, hard-hearted and I can snap real quick. No, no, no. I, I, I want to be aware of, of my shortcomings. I want to be aware. I want to be sensitive to my sin. I never want to become hard to that because when you become hard to your sin, that's a very dangerous place to be. So I always want the Holy Spirit, I beg the Holy Spirit to convict me, to draw me. You know, conviction is a good gift of God whereby he shows us and makes us aware of our shortcoming and reminds us of his goodness and his grace and his mercy. So I always want to be aware of that. And so for me, it's to connect with others with the same struggles to have a brother that's going to call me out and ask me about my struggle and my sin. It's about me owning my junk and so what that does for me is it causes me to have to apologize a lot because I know that I can be hard-hearted. I know that I can uh, try to cover sin. I know that I can uh, uh, try to, try to uh, uh, justify it. And so I always want to be honest with where I'm at. I always want to be honest with where I'm at, where my struggles are, where my blind spots are. I want to be made aware of those. And, then, and for those of you in this room, you, this isn't going to be a shock to you. you most, most of you that know me, there's nothing, nothing special about the guy that stands up here and preaches God's word. I mean, I'm just a work in progress like every single person in this place. And for whatever reason, God has decided to call this guy to lead his church. Nothing special. Just a redneck boy from the mountains of West Virginia trying his darndest to hear the voice of God and follow it. And everything he does. The way he raises his family, the way he disciplines his kids, the way that he loves his wife, the way that he, that, the way that he gives, the way that he plays, the way that he sacrifices, the way that he leads God's people, the way that in every decision, where I even eat for lunch. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? You gotta pray about where you're gonna go eat for lunch. But I wanna know because I believe that there are divine appointments that God's just waiting to bring me into. So I wanna know where he wants me to go. I wanna seek him in everything. So I struggle just like every other person in here. So I'm never gonna hide my struggles because what I've read in the scriptures in Corinthians, Paul says is when you're weak, then who's strong? Who's magnified God? And that's what I want. I, I, I'm not gonna glory in my infirmities and in my struggles and my sins. I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna be broken over it, but I'm not gonna hide it because God is gracious and good and he is making me new is what the scriptures say. So I don't wanna pretend. And the last thing that happens when you aren't honest with God is this, is that you waste energy on the wrong things. 
You waste energy on the wrong things. All your energy, all your effort will go into subduing this thing, to trying to hide this thing, avoiding this thing, trying to overcome this thing. That's what you'll do. You'll waste energy on the wrong things. And the thing that you'll forget about in that process is the cross. The thing that you'll overlook in that process is the cross. See, the objective evidence of God's love and care for you is the cross of Christ. The objective evidence. And unfortunately, so many of us, we become issue-driven and not cross-driven. We become issue-driven, circumstance-driven, and not driven by the cross. Hear me, you're gonna fail, you're gonna stumble, you're gonna have those moments where you just fall apart, where you fall short, where you fall back into bad patterns. But you press through and you defeat it by way of the cross. You always look to the cross. Don't waste energy where energy's not needed. Spiritually, focus on that which will give you victory. Focus on that which will make you well, make you better. It's Jesus, it's his mercy, it's his grace, it's his love, it's his forgiveness. Hear me, church, we've gotta stop focusing on our sins and focus on the one that can do something about our sin. It's Jesus. Like, like I don't walk around with like the Ten Commandments. Don't lie, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie, don't steal, don't steal, don't steal, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't commit adultery, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't burn, don't, I don't do that. No, 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 what I do is I walk around looking to Jesus. I don't walk around thinking about the not to do's. I walk around thinking about the thing that I need to do and that's live for Christ. I'm not gonna be issue driven, I wanna be cross driven. And the thing that I've learned is whenever I am so focused and like I've got a problem, like I've got a problem like at night, like when we're like just kind of unplugging and we're watching TV, I've got this thing called the gurgle. And so like we'll be sitting there and we'll be watching TV and as we're watching it, she's like, Scott, you're doing it again. Baby, hanging out with you on the couch because I love you so much? I don't get it. No, you're doing that thing again. What? You're gurgling. I'm like, what, even, what is a gurgle? She can't even show me what a gurgle is. And so I'm like, okay, I'll quit. Five minutes later, I'm in it again. And I'm just like, when I'm focused, I guess that's just the natural maybe like, I kind of go into like autopilot. Like I'm like a hybrid model, you know? Like breathing doesn't need to be as heavy. I don't know what it is. And like, I can't, I can't even make the sound up. Like, I don't know, I, that's snoring or dying. I don't know. But I'm kind of just like in the moment, locked in with my love and we just watching TV and we're doing our thing and I gurgle because I'm just so in the moment, so present. And there comes the pillow. Maybe we shouldn't watch TV tonight together. I'm for you, babe, whatever. But what happens is I get so locked in that it's just like nothing else, I don't even, I don't even know. And I, I just feel like that's what we should be like as believers. We shouldn't waste our energy and effort on the wrong things. Pay attention to this, pay attention to that, what, this. No, 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 we're focused on Christ. And as we're focused on Christ, those things won't even be an issue. So as the band comes, just got three questions I wanna ask you is this. How's your worship? I mean, honestly, how are you doing worshiping? Any of those things, are you wasting your energy? Is it impossible for you right now? Are you pretending? I mean, how, how honest to goodness is your worship? And worship is you reflecting back to God how much you value and love him and, and want him, how much he's worth to you. How is your worship? Are you pretending? Are you pretending like you've got it all together? And, and that's what I love about it. Like, like, like kids, I'm sorry, but kids are so dumb, you know? I can say that because I was a kid. No, I, I, no insult, I'm sorry. But you guys are just not good at doing some things, like hiding stuff and being pretending. You're just not good at it. But you know what? Neither is anybody else in the room. 
Because we all know, we all know, there's certain indicators in our life that would show that we're just pretending and we're faking and we're trying to get, uh, we need to quit pretending. Just give in to Jesus, be real. Are you gonna be judged? Absolutely, why? Because people are mean and sinful. I mean, it's just the reality of it. Are people gonna hurt you and cut you? Absolutely, why? Because people are mean and sinful and they need to be reminded of God's love and grace. It's gonna happen. I mean, I don't care who you are. I don't care what church you go to. The moment they find out that you <gasps> parked in the handicapped spot for two minutes to run in and get milk and come back out. <laughs> Going to hell in a handbasket is what's happening. <laughs> praise God. Why, why do we praise God for that? Or they rode to church with two cars. I mean, they don't even like our environment anymore. I mean, just, uh, we'll be goofy about stuff, will we not? What we do is we like to project on other people so we don't have to deal with our own junk. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're pretending, you're faking. You've been outed, the cross is outed you. And look, we know. Why? Because we're all in the same boat. There's no perfect people. The only one was Jesus. That's it. Nobody else in this room has got it together. Nobody. Not one of us. So quit faking and pretending. And the last thing I would ask you, are you wasting your energy on the wrong things? And imagine what you could do if you'd put your energy and effort where it needs to be. Imagine what you could accomplish and become if you would just invest your energy in something that would matter. Not chasing, not fighting, not doing all this other stuff, but focusing on Jesus. And so my prayer for us is that we grow tired of playing church. I pray that God uses Habakkuk to ruin us and make us wholly dependent upon him. The crazy thing that we'll talk about next week is that God hears Habakkuk and he answers him. God hears what Habakkuk says and he answers him. But that's next week. Let's pray. God, we love you. Jesus, we need you. Father, speak in this moment. Jesus, I pray. God, save the lost. God, out those in this room that are pretending to be something. God, I just pray that you would rescue them from that. God, help us put our energy and effort on things that matter. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your story. Thank you for who you are. It's your name we pray, amen. Eric's gonna lead us in a song. If you wanna come respond this morning, the altar's open. If you need somebody to talk to, I'll be here, somebody to pray with you, but you be obedient to God. If you'll stand, Eric's gonna lead us. 